Welcome to the lounge. Today, we have a great show where I talk to Jason Hobbs of the any nominated Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, which is on this network. Sweet, huh? We also chat about his other podcast, Random Screed, where he kind of gets to, to, to get in the woods with stuff, and we, we get a little bit in the woods, actually, which is very cool. Um, and I actually convince him to explain what the OSR as best he can. Ooh. So here it is. Check it out. The Lounge. My, my wife will, will say this all the time. Um... You know, a complex task and a simple task have exactly the same level of complexity for me. So, it's it's everything is just average complexity for me. So, <laughs> you know, if I do something every day, it's, it's I'm still equally as likely to do it successfully if I do it the next day. So, um, but uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm really excited to chat with you. Mostly, uh, one of the things is uh, you actually inspired me to design my game. I did. Yes, you did. All right, cool. Um, so it was early on when you had started doing the podcast, or maybe it was even before you had launched it. Um, when did you launch? Um, probably, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a year and a half about, so I would guess like in February of 2016. Yes, so... I had never heard the term OSR before, I, and I listened to the first episode of your podcast, and I was like really intrigued by it. Um, and then a little while later, I lost my job, and I'd been saying for a long time that I was, you know, going to design a game or it's going to do this, that, whatever, you know, as as we do. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'd been running a blog, and I'd been, you know, running, uh, producing some podcasts and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but I really wanted to design, design a game. And so just kind of after listening to your podcast, I kind of started researching OSR and learning more about it. And what I decided was before I turned 42, I would design and publish a game, um, which that was, that was a month away at that time. Okay. <laughs> so I thought, well, I need a simple system. So I, I immediately gravitated towards OSR and I used the, um, uh, the black hack, Shane black, no, David black, David black, yeah. David black. Um, and, uh, yeah, I used the black hack and I basically like manipulated a few different black hack type games to, into, what I wanted it to do. And I released a game before I turned 42. Um, Congratulations, man. Thank you. And so you were, you, you were involved with the inspiration of that in a lot of ways. So um, I, I, and I, and I, I've run it at, um, I ran it at QCC a bunch of times last year. It had a great time. Um, and now of course, I, I feel like I was officially a game designer the minute I looked at it and like, oh, I should start running this again. And I was like, this needs to change entirely. So, uh, <laughs> um, is that the only place you ran it, or where do you have it released at? Uh, oh, it's on drive-through. Um, it's called Warlocks and Wormholes. Oh, okay, nice. Um, 
and it's science fiction fantasy, um, and it's uh, it's based off campaigns that I've run, you know, in some variation over the years. So I was like, I wanted to do something that was that was part of that, um, but it's it's also a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, I have a, a, a an adventure for it uh, called um, uh, what's it called? Oh, the Phylactery Factory. <laughs> nice. And the main villain of it is um, I can't think of his name. He's got a really punny name, and um, you know what a demi lich is. Yeah. This is a hemi lich. So nice. He's a, off the engine. Or yeah. Like, yeah. So he's okay. this, this diesel powered lich cyborg thing. Um, All right, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Definitely Thundar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, but, like, so so what, uh, what I, I guess, so you helped to define OSR for me, but I think it's still one of those things that people miss out a lot. Like, like maybe not miss out, but but just aren't fully aware of. So, so um, what is the OSR? <laughs> Uh, do you know I've never explained what the OSR is on my own podcast? I do. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the OSR is actually uh, uh, many things to many different people. In fact, I just uh, found a really good definition of it that took about 15 minutes done by uh, Matt uh, <laughs> Finch, who is kind of one of the leaders of the OSR. Uh, and I would tell everyone to go and listen to that because he'd do a way better job than I would. But if I was to paraphrase him, I would say you have a few different things going on when someone uses the term OSR. Uh, initially, the OSR started at when uh, third edition Dungeons and Dragons came out and people were not some people. I shouldn't say people like in all people, but some people were not happy with the direction that the rules went. And uh, many people had still been playing first edition or basic or second edition regardless and when it came out. And they still could be, but no new people could because those books were no longer in print. So when the OGL came out, the open game license, uh, Matt Finch and another guy, who I can't think of his name right now, they wrote a game called Osric, which took out all of the fluff and was just the rules from first edition Dungeons and Dragons to see if they could get away with it without Watsy trying to sue them. And it was successful. And uh, they didn't even actually write that game to be a game, but it is now. You can buy the Osric book, you know, and play Osric if you want to. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't meant to be a game. And then after that came uh, Labyrinth Lord, Swords and Wizardry, which people called the Retro Clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, because basically they were just kind of rewriting older sets of rules that are out of print uh, with maybe some new lighter type mechanics. A lot of people would say first edition, no one ever played completely rules as written anyway. Um, but that's kind of what the retro clones are. And then um, I would say now it's changed even farther. Like I personally wouldn't call the black hack OSR, okay. but people's, people's definitions of the OSR are different because the reason I wouldn't is because it doesn't use any of the mechanics of the old school games. 
I would actually agree with that now that I know more, a little bit more about it. But yeah, um, I think that it has the, it tries to keep the aesthetic of the OSR, but I don't think it is OSR just because it doesn't have any of those qualifying feels that an OSR game has, which at the moment, other than mechanics, I'm not really coming up with anything. But um, then you also have uh, people who are so those would be people who are trying to play the games that are no longer in print. Then you in the OSR, people would say it's people who are still playing the old games. I have this conversation with people all the time. Like I recently asked one of my friends, like he was talking, he's buddies with Tim Cask, who is uh, one of the original guys from TSR that was around in the uh, 1E days, 2E days and stuff. And he's like, yeah, Tim Cask is, you know, he's OSR. And I'm like, is he OSR? Does it really encompass the old games or is it only what we're doing now today? Um, are, is first edition an OSR game or is it just first edition, you know, an old D&D edition? I, I don't really know. And I think it's OK with yeah. whatever you think, you know, uh, it's people that are trying to play a particular style of game. And I don't really think the OSR is a community. Uh, this is another thing that's going on. The reason I say it's not a community is because it has no uh, designated leaders. Sure. It has it has no rules for what it is. It doesn't have any of the things that people would normally consider with a uh, community. It's a movement for sure. I shouldn't say it doesn't have anything because um, my friend Tenkar told me that he's correct that the thing that it does have is a lot of the people will stick together and do things together. It's it's all about writing these games or uh, settings for games or adventures for games that are all pretty much in the same vein and you can almost use across the board for an OSR game because the mechanics have the similar feel for pre-third uh, edition Dungeons and & Dragons. And that could actually include um, using uh, White Box, which is a version of Swords & Wizardry, to play a star game, you know, a science fiction game or yeah. whatever. So all those games are compatible with each other. And that's, that's probably another designator of the OSR. Um, it's also maybe a certain type of product. Mm -hmm. When you see the OSR designation, hopefully you kind of have an idea what that product is. It's going to have these similar, uh, relatively simple mechanics that deal with more like a uh, player skill as opposed to, player character skill uh, I think that's definitely an aspect of the OSR and uh, maybe more of a mercenary attitude instead of the concept of uh, we're always going to be heroes you know because the murder hobo is is definitely an OSR uh, <laughs> jargon or designation that basically means you know the characters are just pretty much out for themselves to gain loot and gain experience and then to hopefully build their own castles or whatever you know um and that's any type of uh, genre as well. It's gonna it's gonna have that same feeling. Uh, one other thing is probably zero to hero is an OSR concept where your character is a normal dude along with all the other normal dudes, and the thing that's gonna make him different is you. There aren't any special rules to make you better or than all the other uh, generic dudes out there. So or people. So it's uh I think I mean. That's kind of a rambly explanation, but what do you think? Is, I think that's that... great, man. I, I think uh, let me let me ask you this though. I've heard some people say if it's if it's going to be OSR, it has to be fantasy. How do you feel? I about have that? I have heard that as well, um, and I would say that the fathers of the OSR, 
the guys that I'm talking about, like would be Dan Proctor, Matt Finch, guys who were involved in writing those products early on. Uh, maybe Bill Webb, I guess. I don't know, but um, I don't necessarily agree. I really feel like when you're talking traveler, man, that is a straight up OSR game. It, a game where you can get killed during character generation? Come on, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> that is, it really fits all those ideas. Simple, deadly, uh, zero to hero. It definitely has that aesthetic, even though it's a science fiction game. Um, now, and I would are, say, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Uh, what about other games um, that that don't fall into that same scenario, but still are like older tech games? For example. A few years back, I just got the urge to run a Marvel Superheroes Phase Rip game for a little while, and uh, it it had to it obviously had an old school feel. It was an old school game with tech that that uh, that um, <clears throat> didn't age super well. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know, man. Some of my buddies who are some people would call very steeped in the OSR uh, Matt Jackson. He just started running a phase rip Marvel superheroes game. So it's, it's coming around and it's staying around. It has some staying power because the system is pretty simple. And I think they feel like it uh, emulates the feel or the aesthetic that they're trying to get for myself. You're starting to kind of edge out. I mean, I'm a pretty big hero system or champions fan. Uh I played, I played that for quite a while. Like when I came back into gaming, I skipped third edition. I shouldn't say I skipped it. I was playing second edition, and then um, I kind of moved into playing champions or what people call the hero system now uh, just because it is a fundamentally consistent game across. It doesn't have a bunch of mini games Definitely. like OSR games are known for, right? Yeah. yeah. And I didn't really play a lot of GURPS, but people would say that – some people would say champions, Marvel superheroes, DC heroes, uh, those superhero genre games are – OSR because they're old school games. To me, I think you're starting to kind of edge off of maybe what the description really means. But you know, I don't know. There's there's a super genres game coming out right now. Eric Bloat just came out with Vigilante City. It's kickstarting right now, and it's built off of the same um, uh, chassis that uh, like uh, White Star is, which yeah. is all swords and wizardry white box. So. I mean, it's still out there. People, like you say, are getting that feel of villains and vigilantes. All these old supers games—they're—they're they're still around, man. Yeah, yeah. It's—it's it's funny because it, um, it—it's—I I feel like—I mean, I've been playing games consistently for more than thirty years, and uh, I really got my start with Marvel superheroes, which is <laughs> I, I bring. I played D and D once. I had a halfling. I had a high charisma, and he got killed by an arrow until. Um, I was seven, uh, so I don't really know what was happening. Um, but that's what I remember. Um, and then somebody handed me for my 10th birthday uh, Marvel superheroes, and I was like, role playing, and that's not fun. Oh, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but I've been doing. That sounds like, yeah, you had a bad experience, and I think that's turned a lot of people off. But I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go oh ahead. no, that's fine. Um, what I was gonna say though is that like. As you go through the eras, you know, it's like like that was played for a while, and we played, like, the original box set, Cyberpunk and Paranoia and um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, a lot of Palladium stuff. And then it was like, look at, you know, White Wolf, Vampire the Masquerade, and Mage the Ascension. We played a ton of Mage, you know. And, like, 
things change and you kind of move on to that next thing. And I feel like nowadays we're in an era where you can go to a convention and the entire history of the gaming industry is available to play. Yeah, it's the golden age, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would totally agree with that. Uh, I have never been to Gen Con. This is the first time I'd ever been to Origins. Um, but the cons that I usually go to, most people would call them more OSR cons anyway, but what's I'm talking like Gary Con, Game Hall Con, and North Texas RPG Con. But you're right. I mean, it's all over the board. There were people playing... Uh, Adventures in Middle Earth at North Texas, which is like the premier OSR con. But here's some people playing Fifth Edition. Uh, but mostly, you know, you're going to see people playing BattleTech and obviously Holmes Edition, all the different editions of D and D, and and almost all the retro clones and the new wave clones as well. But um, there should be something for everyone out there. I'm not surprised there are more people playing tabletop role playing games today than ever have been because it that's why i say it's the golden age you got a good game bringing new people in and now there's all these options for them and you can't yeah. beat options you definitely can't well fifth edition I, I and i agree i think the accessibility of fifth edition um alongside the the i guess appeal of of some of the the public face of it i mean you've got um Critical Role, you've got Adventure Zone, you've got these things that are hugely popular. Um, you know, I think that that is bringing in a lot more gamers. And I think a lot of the times these are people that say, you know, well, you used to play different stuff. Like, what was it? You know, like, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> you know, you get to have that moment of, I can show you what it used to be like. Yeah, I would, uh, I wish there were more ways for that. Uh, there, people are in, in my circles are calling 5e the gateway drug. Mm -hmm. So you get into it, and then maybe hopefully you can move into the OSR because more people is better. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, of course, there's going to be OSR people that disagree with that because, like I said, it's not really a community. It's just this amoeba-like movement that you have people from all stratums of society in. Sure. But, um, <laughs> uh, but I think streamers who are uh, making that gap, like I would say Ben Milton is a big proponent of that he's known as questing beast on uh he's got a vlog on youtube where he actually comes from a 5e background but he is uh he's doing tons of reviews on all osr stuff oh really is, that's cool yeah yeah well it's 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 awesome he does a very good job of it uh he's mostly into the art ha art house osr group which i split them up and have names for them but it's very deep into the niche, and I don't know how far you really want to get into it. But well, well you know, I, I have to know what art house is. <laughs> oh, I would. To me, I would call art house the people who are using art for the name of art and creativity for creativity's sake. Oh, okay. Which would be closer to Zach Smith, uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, uh, that okay. era, Kyle Chenier. Um, I would put those people. Some of some of Mike Evans stuff, not all of it. Hubris isn't necessarily all the way there, but it's definitely edging on that side. Mm -hmm. It's part of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which some people say is not OSR, but I say it is, so it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when when you've got an any nominated show, I feel like you can you know help with that de definition a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, 
do love the idea that it's this kind of uh, like the the amoeba like community feel of it. Like it's not really an organized community. Um, did, yeah, does, every, does everybody get along? No, not at all. <laughs> there's constant there's constant infighting in the OSR for sure. And I think right now in today's day and age, there's kind of that politically charged feeling that mm-hmm. is almost, you know, omnipresent in your, in everyday life really. And so even the gaming hobby cannot necessarily get away from it. It's true. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some, I was, I want to say this one thing. There's some really loud voices in the OSR that uh, are not, indicative of the majority of the community i would say i would say you got 95 percent of the people that just want to play games together uh there's you know there's going to be some political divide that exists there but for the most part they're going to game together but you do have a few uh very fringe guys who are very loud uh but they're pretty popular too so i see people say that the osr is toxic and I say that's not in my experience, but if you're on the outside, all you really hear is the loud people. Sure. You don't really see the, all the rest of the people that are doing the, I mean, the show is called Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, and there's a lot of them. So to me, it seems like I don't feel like it's toxic at all. Yeah. So. Well, you do a good job, though, of avoiding anything political on your show. I, I, I think, <laughs> I know you've made that statement, like that's not important. I think that that's that's a, a, important to have those spaces where people can come together from different sides of whatever it, it might be and, you know, have a conversation, and, you know? Yeah. Gaming is a social engagement. Uh, and back in the day, I mean, I'm 48, so I started gaming when I was eight as well. So I've been mm-hmm. playing for 40 years and I thought during social engagements, you weren't really supposed to talk about religion, politics, or the other guy's spouse. So <laughs> these are all the rules that we used to live by, but those are gone now. Uh, it's it's not like that anymore. It's it's different than it was five years ago. Yeah. Uh, there's and I'm I understand why, and I actually uh, believe in that in that concept or that movement that there are minorities, females, uh, gender minorities, racial minorities that have not gotten a voice, and now that they have one and they're getting one. They want to be loud about it and be proud, and uh, I can totally understand that. And to me, I'm like, I will game with anybody, and I'm happy to do so. Um, I Like you mentioned, I really always say that I've always wanted uh, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR to be, uh, I consider it a safe place, but at the very least a neutral place away from these problems that split people and hopefully be a place where you could all come together. Yeah. Uh, but it al- it doesn't always work that way. I mean, you can't. You can, unfortunately, you can only control yourself, and so you cannot control what happens around you and the people. So you just kind of have to make the best of it in that situation, I think. Well, I think sometimes, too, uh, uh, you know, there's this um, – I I feel it sometimes. Um, when people start to get into your thing, um, like I've, I grew up reading comic books and playing role-playing games. And so about a decade and a half ago – a little more than that, you know, everybody was like into getting into superheroes and stuff. And I was, was a little bit like, no, this is the thing I like. Like, yeah, well, you can't have <laughs> what are this. You guys, what are you guys doing in my nerd niche? You guys have your own nerd niches that you do. It's sports and uh, fantasy football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you, what are you doing in mine? I've always been part of both, but 
I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with the advent of the movies, man, the Marvel superhero movies, for sure. That's changed all that. And, and it's continued with the streaming and uh, YouTubers, just like you mentioned. So. 100%. Now it's just part of the... the uh, I'm going to say zeitgeist because I've, I wrote an article for my website and used zeitgeist too many times. So I'm going to say it. It's zeitgeist. It's, it's <laughs> just part of it now. And I really think that gaming in general, um, you know, at, at, the, at the very least, uh, uh, narrative play overall is about to just kind of take that same leap. Like, like it feels like it feels like we, as in you and I, as in the network, as in, you know, everybody I've talked to on this show is just kind of on this, on the crest of this wave that's about to just change everything. And I could be wrong, but you're ready for the tipping point. I'm that ready place for it. Where it just kind of comes over. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like it's definitely there. It's, getting closer because there's way more people playing and there's and they're experiencing it in different ways necessarily you know they're not necessarily even playing games they're just watching critical role or Mm -hmm. youtube streams or whatever and they're into it the interesting thing about role-playing games and dungeons and dragons that's different significantly different than fantasy football or role-playing or um uh, marvel superhero like comic books and stuff sure you don't have you don't have any iconic figures to relate to. This is true. All, all you have is just this mass of something. And so now you're, it's, it's harder in some ways to maybe get behind it. So you're not taking an individual and saying, I'm relating to them, but the streamers are kind of changing that now because they're having these characters that they see for a whole season of play or a whole campaign. And now they can really get behind those characters, especially on Twitter. I see this all the time. And I don't even watch any streams. I have one mm-hmm. that I run a BX game in, but I don't watch them. Um, <laughs> and to see these people all being all about these characters on this D&D game, where they constantly want to draw them and talk about them and see what how their relationships are with each other and what their character growth is, I think that is, is very powerful because we didn't have that before. We didn't have these iconic characters. 100%. I mean, it's, it's showing... Like, like it's showing people if if superheroes are showing people what those things can look like, you know, if you have it in a movie, these streaming stories are showing people what it can look like if if you were to take part of this or you know, um, that's yeah, a, if you wanted movie. to play, yeah, if you wanted yeah. to play, this is what it would be like. Here's an example. Here's something you can relate to during the game. And do your own of these things. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's. Uh, I never really considered it until we started talking right now, but I think that is a, a pretty big point because like no Dungeons and Dragons movie really worked, but that Lord of the Rings, things like that. I want to sure. play Legolas now or whatever. You can, in some ways, you could say those are, you know, but it's really not the same when you have all these different types of games and how open D and D is compared to those things. Right. So. Right. I don't know. Um, role-playing you, games in general. You mentioned, by the way, that you played, you played, you got real into Hero System for a while, and it was funny because one of the questions I had to ask you was like, because I feel like the OSR games are a little bit, maybe on the simpler to learn but complex to master side, whereas, I mean, Hero System is, you know, 
you're playing on on hard level. <laughs> just designing. It's pretty crunchy. Character. Yeah. Yes, it's very crunchy. Uh, like it's classless. Yeah. And level levelless. So when you go in, it's very front heavy character generation. So if you didn't, I always use this application called a hero designer. I do because, too. <laughs> yeah. That was my Dan Simon. I used to live on the hero games forum boards for like almost 10 years, probably huh. when I ch- changed professions to a programmer and I was sitting in an office as opposed to working in a factory or whatever. I mean, I was constantly on that and I actually was, did a lot of play by posts at a place called hero central huh. and, uh, I I played a lot in all genres of Hero System, and I think it is a very good game. I just don't have the time to do that for the crunch. I love the fundamentally consistent rules. Uh, when I first learned about the game, I was just like, oh, this is it. I never understood quite why elves couldn't be... Uh, no one could cast Charm Person or couldn't cast Sleep on elves because they're different somehow. You know That doesn't really make sense to me. And uh, the concept of all these little mini games, I'm kind of enjoying them now. I'm back to those, sure. enjoying that. But for 10, 15 years, I mean, all I played a lot of Hero System. I played in a Champions campaign that had already been in, exist- in existence for 20 years, and then I played in it for 10 or 12 years. <laughs> so it, uh, <laughs> but that's uh, it's more episodic, you know. Yeah. Most of the time that when it starts all the characters are going to be just where they were when it finished. You know, you're going to see some character development during it, but it's more episodic play as opposed to serial play, which is how most uh, OSR games probably are considered. If you're not doing like a one shot or a con game. Yeah. It's, it's funny how those, those two ideas between the, the simple and the complex kind of check different boxes for me. And, you know, um, uh, I, I'll, I I actually really like the GURPS system, uh, fourth edition, and I actually run a um, uh, uh, X crawl uh, oh, in nice. GURPS um, because they came out with the fantasy dungeon fantasy. Yes, yeah, that's in the GURPS yeah. system, and I was like, oh, I want to run this, but I, you know, I'm not. I'm. Not, I've never been like a standard fantasy fan. It has to be something weird about it because I'm a weirdo. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why cool. when you said art house, I'm like, ooh, that feels like me. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so so I got it, doing it in GURPS get, gave me the chance to kind of do something weird with it. But it is kind of like, oh, there's so much crunch there. And then like I've actually uh, had the opportunity to run. Um, uh, uh, Chris Nizak's sequence system a couple times. Okay. Try it out, and that's very simple and basic, and that is a lot of fun to, to run. Okay, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell Brendan LaSalle this story. He's the author of X Crawl. I know he was my first interview on my old podcast. Oh, he was. What yeah. was your old podcast? Uh, it was called the Doc Palindrome Podcast. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but. Um, All right. Uh, if you want to listen to that that interview, it, it's probably not very good. I feel like I've become. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Brendan is a great guy, so uh, I would be surprised if he wouldn't have something to say very energetically, regardless. <laughs> well, I I actually really would like to get him on this at some point. Um, and and one of the the real interesting thing is when I ordered my Xbox book years ago, 
uh, or Xbox X crawl book years ago. Um, I got it with this letter saying, you know, I'm really sorry. I, we had run out of ones, uh, you know, from storage. So I had to send you my personal one, but let me know. And, you know, and I'll send you a regular one. And it had his name on it. Nice. On the, um, uh, inside cover. No, on on the pages, like, like where it's, I can't think of the anatomy of a book, but like not on the spine, but on the other side, it, it had his name. And I'm like, <laughs> I messaged him. I'm like, this is way cooler. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, so I, I told that story when, when I interviewed him and uh, yeah. So you should be pretty excited that the DCC version is coming out. Maybe that should be relatively simple. I'm really, I'm really interested to check that out. I'm also, uh, the challenge for me with X-Crawl is um, what weird setting to put it in that's not Brandon's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, it's always like, um, which uh, the System Mastery podcast did that. They did, um, they used um, fourth, uh, uh, Gamma World, the, the version for, that's based on 4th edition D&D, to okay. run X-Crawl. Um, I did not know that many people were playing X-Crawl. I've never played it. I mean, I'm a good friends with Brendan, but that's awesome. I, I had no idea either. Um, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're friends with him because he is a, he's a really cool guy. Um, I, uh, speech, speaking of cool guys, you talk to cool people, um, pretty much, uh, every episode of your, of your podcast. Um, what, what was it? that made you say, listen, I just want to start recording these conversations and, and having these conversations. <laughs> well, um, I'd say two game of cons. I started listening to the first podcast I probably listened to, uh, that I really liked was gaming and BS with, uh, Brett Blazinski and Sean P. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Those, those guys were having conversations that I enjoyed gaming theory, and just talking about different ideas and different games. And I just really liked it because that's the type of conversations I'd like to have. You know, I hang out my, my family that I normally gamed with um, there. They thought I was way too serious. You're too interested in making your games art. That's what they said. You're always wanting to make your games art. You're too far into them that we can't hardly even play with you just because you're too far trying to, think of things and ask about game design in different ways and constantly asking for feedback. And it actually caused kind of a rift with uh, my actual brother. But anyway, I remember Gary Khan, it was just Gary Khan 10. So Gary Khan seven, I knew Sean just from being in the community and going to cons and listening to his podcast. And he asked me to do a bumper and I'm like, Hey, this is Jason Hobbs, that guy you never heard of. And you should be out listening to gaming and BS. And uh, he thought it was funny. It played, and some people were like, oh, I'd heard of you or whatever. Uh, and then that Gamehole Con, a few months later, I met Chris at Gamehole. Uh-huh. And he's obviously friends with uh, Brett and Sean because there's always been kind of a sister podcast. And I started listening to the Misdirected Mark podcast just because of Brett and Sean mentioning it. And I talked to him and met him there and uh, had a good time. We talked about Patreon and how, you know, you could do different things inside the network or with podcasting. And uh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh. 
Oh, it got so quiet, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, All right, so, the vacuum was getting close again. Um, oh, so I just so, had to mute myself for that one. All right. Really. All right, no problem. And so uh, I really enjoyed that conversation, and I played a game with Chris and and just hung out a lot with the guys. And then that was in November, so in February or maybe January or something, I was like, I contacted Chris, and I was like, hey, I think I could do a podcast. And he's like, well, pitch it to me. I'm like, well, all I really want to do is talk to all my buddies about gaming and, uh, and the OSR. And he's like, well, I don't even know really what the OSR is, <laughs> you know, because this was two years ago or whatever and a uh, year and a half. And so, but he was like, all right, you give it to me decent and I'll pitch it to Senda and do a test, do a test episode and then we'll see what we think. And so I had uh, my good friend, Eric Hoffman from Stormlord Publishing on, and we talked about uh, a, a game that really isn't even an OSR game but we talked about how we played it and how we felt about it and how it felt like an OSR game. And it was called unbelievably simple rules. Uh, the sword and sorcery version by Jay uh, Murphy. And it was, they thought it was so good that he just said, no, this is going to be episode one. It wasn't even a test. We just, that's it's right out there. And it was, it came out so clean and it was a conversation and it was exactly where we went. And I've kept that format all the way through. And it, uh, it, I mean, I know tons of people I'm, my buddy calls me a maven. He's like, you know, everybody. And you always try and connect them with who they want to talk to. And that has really served me well in this because most of the people that I see at conventions and in the industry, or even just guys I play with or people I meet on Google plus or online, if I, if they have something interesting to say, I'll be like, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? You know, I'll talk to you. And, um, and sometimes it's going to be really obscure games, Ambition and Avarice, an obscure game that almost nobody had heard of probably before that, except the people that know it, you know. Um, but it's been so very rewarding. In fact, the brother that I had the falling out with, he was I told him I did a podcast. He had no idea what it was, and he finally listened to it. And he was so excited because it reminded him of what we used to have. And I'm not going to say nostalgia because I don't necessarily like the concept that nostalgia is why people play OSR games. Sure. But uh, I guess that is probably part of it. He got back in and he's gaming with us again. And now it's different because he helped write the zine, zine number two. He did some writing on that. And and it was really a, a, really a rewarding moment. Uh, probably more rewarding than being nominated for an any. But uh, I'm seriously humbled by that. Because if you listen to the show, you know I have no idea why people listen at all. So <laughs> your, your, your humility is definitely one of your... Uh... Your, your well-known attributes. I, I was reading, I was on your blog and you describe yourself as um, the least creative person on the internet. <laughs> I've no offense. I've been on the internet for a while and I, I don't think you even hit the top 10 in that, but uh... <laughs> uh, so I like, I try not to have too many inside jokes on the podcast. And if I do, I just kind of blow by them. Cause if you don't get them, I'm not going to explain them because that kind of defeats the purpose in some ways. <laughs> not trying to create a click or anything like that, but just because if you don't know it's an inside joke, you're not even going to know that it is. And you're just going to say, Oh, that's interesting. But why did he say that? My very first con I went with, uh, to meet a friend that I had met online, Adam Muscovich, who, uh, was known for drink sprint run okay. the podcast. And he also was one of the masterminds behind the metal gods of Ur Haddad zine, which Maybe you never heard of, but it's pretty big in the DCC community. 
Okay. Uh, I met I met him and his wife at Gary Con Five, I think now or something. And uh, the very first game we played in was ran by Doug Kovacs, who is uh, one of the main artists for Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I had met him, and we'd been hanging out drinking beers. This might have been the second day of the con or something. And we were playing this game called uh, he calls it Stout Fellas. It's nominally Dungeon. It's really D D C C, which is Doug. Dungeon Crawl Classics, because his games are different than anything else, and he does pretty much whatever he wants. He's one of the creators of the game. So, uh, we're all playing dwarves, and he's, like, asking people to go around and talk about their dwarves and explain a little bit about their dwarves, you know, just like a boilerplate on why your dwarf is cool or something. Be creative and why your dwarf is a little different. And he's, this game had some real luminaries in the Dungeon Crawl Classics uh community that now people all know who they are like uh jen uh, brinkman was in that game this is before she was ever on the uh, any award-winning uh spellburn uh, adam muscovich from dinkspin run was on there his wife was playing the game rick hull was playing the game uh the sketches were playing the game uh, there were a bunch of really well-known people in the dc's community before they were well known because this was five years ago just after dcc really started and uh so he, Doug asked, you know, Adam and Rick and Jen to talk about their characters or whatever. And then there was this new guy that no one knew with his like 12 year old daughter. And it was her turn. And she was, she seemed a little nervous because she wasn't sure what to say. And Doug looks over at, at me and she goes, you should not be concerned. Anything you say is going to be great. We actually have Jason Hobbs sitting at the table and he is the least creative person on the internet. So you don't have to worry about anything. And so that was kind of a gig. <laughs> that was a dig at Doug. So <laughs> that's just a great title to have, man. That's, that's just, you know, true or not. It's just great. That, that's fantastic. Oh man. Um, yeah. So that's where that name came from. I, I love it. Um, I also, uh, I also noticed on your, um, on your blog, and I know that that uh, you your your updates have been intermittent, and I understand that because they have been on mine as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's been two years since I've written a post, and I think I just okay. finished my, my, my one of them. Um, but uh, you were talking about doing a um, western heartbreaker. Yeah. Uh, so um, I wanted to to just note. Um, I've wanted to play in a Western RPG that was just straight Western and wasn't weird at all for so long. I never got to play Boot Hill. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, and there wasn't like that's literally the only one I can think of, short of just playing in you know in in GURPS or Hero System or some generic system. Yeah. Um, but every time it was like, oh, we're gonna play a Western game. Oh, it's Weird West. Oh, it's you know Deadlands. Yeah. yeah. Or alien versus cowboys or right, something wacky. Um, and I love all that stuff, but I've always just kind of wanted to play just a Western game. So, um, so I applaud you for doing that. And, uh, you know, I hope you're still working on it. I have, I'm I, actually, what happened is, is we play tested it and I probably did some testing with, uh, maybe two or three different groups. Mm-hmm. playing through the initial scenario that I had set up. And uh, I would, I like to say that that good intentions is what I call that. That <laughs> I don't know if that'll be the actual name or not, but 
uh, I like because of the you know the road to, the idea for the game originally was how far are you willing to go to succeed on the frontier, and uh, the idea was if it was going to use uh, similar to DCC mechanics, but instead of luck, it would have the morality track, and as your morale as you use burnt your morality, you were getting closer and closer to the devil basically, or yeah. dealing with nine toes, and um, just because I and so then it just kind of went with that. When I the play tested it, the weird was obscure and small enough that no one was actually sure if anything weird actually happened or not. You know, it's the weird like apocalypse now where you go and the, he's like all bloody and just in this weird situation. Mm-hmm. It's not the weird as in magical things happen or anything like that. It's just weird in maybe like uh Blair Witch Project sort of weird, not with a shaky camera, but with, hey, we're not sure if anything really happened or not, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of weird. Um, I was a big fan of Boot Hill. I grew up with horses okay. uh, my, whole, my whole life, and my dad never played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but he would run Boot Hill for, like, his friends and stuff, and I would watch them, or uh, sometimes, we're talking, this is 1979, you know? Um <laughs> And it was more like it really was almost like more like a miniature war game because you had the big fold out uh, grid map of the town and everyone had, you know, their little cardboard marker. And you just kind of went around and this these guys were good guys and these guys were bad guys. They were robbing the bank and you just had a shootout. And that was pretty much what the whole game was. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And at, uh, I don't know, Gary Khan eight or something. Uh, Eric Hoffman and I used the um, black powder, black magic rule system to play oh. a, a boot hill esque type of game. And we had two tables and there were 11 people at each table. And the whole concept, the conceit was I was running the bad guys and uh, he was running the townsfolk and they were planning whatever they would do. And the, the, we had all these uh, basically victory points that you could gather like whatever however much money you stole went towards your victory total any uh outlaw if you're a lawman any outlaw that you shot or whatever would all go towards this end so and we had prizes and it went back and forth and at the end of the game we had 22 people around this table in this massive shootout and uh it was pretty insane and this was an off the books game and 22 people showed up to play it One, one of the best stories was uh, this guy on the outlaws side. He, one of his things was to get into town. He was a gambler, get into town and actually play a poker game without getting caught and then get back out. And so what we did is, is he's like, I'm going to try and sneak into town and infiltrate the good guys. And so like I took his character sheet and he just walked off out of the room. And then, you know, maybe a few minutes later, because Eric and I would be talking with each other once in a while, I gave him the character sheet and said, hey, James is going to show up, act like he's a new player, and then just pull him in and give him this character sheet. And he's like, all right. So he did, and they never even knew until the very end when the tables got together. They were like, because he said, oh, I got to go. And then he came around another door and just sat back at our table. And they never knew that he was that guy until they all came over for the big gunfight at the end. So that was (laughs) It was uh, it was pretty crazy. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, another cool time. We ran the same thing at uh, North Texas, but we only had six people at a table, and it was on the grid. Uh, but Eric, Alex Pirucini actually rode his horse 
into the gambling hall and during a shootout. So that was a pretty cool moment too. Uh, I, I, I really like the black powder, black magic um, mm-hmm. setting, but it is, it is more weird. The, the black magic part is a little stronger than I've, than I've wanted. So, um, Oh, I guess what I was going to continue as far as good intentions, the writing has gone. I kind of got bogged down cause I wanted to write an adventure that was a uh, rehash or reskinning the U one through three uh, secret of salt marsh, sinister, sinister secret of salt marsh mm-hmm. and put that into a Western setting. And I kind of got bogged down in the town. Um, one of the th- other things that I wanted to do for, I guess, I don't know how much you want to talk about this. Is this too no, much? This is great. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I wanted to do is I had uh, the idea was this morality tract was new. No other person had ever really done that. Uh, maybe the closest thing would be um, uh, Dogs in the Vineyard, which was right. kind of a similar idea to that. But the other idea was making Western campaign campaign play easier because I've always found in Western – my brother and I wrote a Western game when I was 16, 80, oh. in ni- yeah, 1987 or something like that. We called Shootout, and we played it a lot. Um, I had lost Boot Hill and we still wanted to play it, and it was a straight Western game. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> can, I I just, was, can I just, can we just address that you lost Boot Hill? You're like, I want to play a Western game. Well, let's just make one. That's yeah. Not, yeah. We'll just make it up. Yeah, <laughs> we did. That's what we for did. A teenager. Uh, yeah. Well, I used to work at uh, a gas station and this was before, uh, this was like during the cell, uh, full service time. And this is when I was going to high school. That was like my side job or whatever. And while I was sitting in the gas station, my buddies would come over and we would like work on this game. We'd play it or we would write it. And it was all written on like these, I don't know, five by eight pieces of paper that are like tickets that we handed out to people like for receipts or whatever. And so, I mean, we just had these stack of these receipts that had like ranges and chances. It was all percentile. It was a pretty kludgy game. Uh, but I mean, we probably played it for two or three years. My brother continued to work on it after that, and I have this big stack of stuff. But uh, <laughs> one of the one of the problems I felt is that it was difficult to actually run a campaign mm-hmm. because uh, in all of your all of your subject material, it they're just you know they there's not that many. You'd have to go back to old westerns on TV or something. But usually, it just doesn't make sense for these guys to be running around like murder, murder hobos unless they are an outlaw gang. And now you're opening yourself up to all this other stuff that I didn't really want to play. Um, so what I wanted to do is create, I'm call, I call it domain rules, which could deal, it could be whatever, you know, you, the GM and the players decide it is, where it adds this turn where you're trying to, if say your domain is the Ponderosa, you have a ranch. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're going to have a, a domain turn, which is going to de- de- defend or define what's going on with the ranch or what you need to do in order to help the ranch are, you know, people stealing your cattle, uh, did some gunslingers come into town you have to deal with. So that's going to, it's all going to be random tables that will help the GM forward that. And then the, there will be rules that make the domain better. And so that's what you'll be working towards. And so you're continually going to have a campaign with some downtime that exists, or it could be a wagon train where you're trying to get a wagon train from one place to another. Uh, it could be a town itself. It could be, it could be almost anything, but I wanted this domain play to help create the campaign. So that was one of the ideas, but I also stalled out on that. So 
<laughs> actually just this weekend, I've actually pulled good intentions back off the shelf in a different way because I came up with a idea for a sci-fi game which I could focus the domain play into a single idea instead of trying to do all these different ones at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so now I can play test the domain play. Uh, that's, that's called. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that that'll really help. Uh, the guy who was working on it with me is uh, Thaddeus Moore, the patches. We call him patches because he's the guy who sells the OSR patches. Okay. <laughs> he told me I could call him that if I did something, but I can't remember if I ever did it, but I'm still calling him patches. <laughs> So uh, uh, if you want to know, Relentless is this idea of something horrible has happened on Earth. And um, and I, you don't define what it is because that's one of the things you learn through play. Uh -huh. So I'm going to have a bunch of different, probably a random table that will say, okay, these are the things and this is how you could uh, define those through play. And so that would be one of the exploration aspects of the game. Basically, the idea is you're on a generation ship that there's been this whole that's uh, based on the trail of tears almost. Okay. So for a long period of time, they sent out these ships and then the ship eventually stopped because of whatever happened to it. Maybe enough of the crew died or some uh, important part on the ship is no longer there. There's no uh, faster than light. This is all sub faster than light travel. Mm -hmm. And so they sent off for a particular, say they went to Alpha Centauri or whatever to try and find a new place to live because this horrible thing that happened on earth. So you have this crew of 50 people and then you have all these uh, frozen zygotes or embryos that would take a seriously long time for them to come up. And then when they come up, now they can take over the ship and move on. But you have this long trail of possibly after this happened. So say it, they didn't find anything. It was a dead planet when they got to Alpha Centauri. So now they've headed for a new one, but you have this huge trail of derelict ships and ships that have landed and tried to do something, maybe made a space station that your ship is now passing through because theirs has stopped where it is. And now their babies are trying to grow up until they can move their ship again. So the whole game is you on this ship and it's troop play. So you'll have a large number of people on the ship. So if someone dies on the away team, when you're trying to go and get parts for your ship or something, then that is going to lessen the efficiency. So that's what the domain is going to be, is going to be your generation ship. Uh, and then the play will be a hard sci-fi game uh, like a Hulks and Horrors or uh, Space Marines, you know, trying to move through. Could have a life on them. Could be people who crazy ship stopped, you know, where they set up camp because something happened on their generation ship. Uh, it could be a number of different things, and that that's kind of the basis of the game. That's that sounds awesome. I, I hard sci-fi is one of those things that I've. I've, I've always been tempted to do more with. Um, I came up with a, a, a few years back, just before I got out of role-playing for a little bit, actually, I came up with a, a pitch for a GURPS game called Orbital. And the pitch was, it's a game where you're playing people that live and operate in an orbital space, space station. And it's just kind of mm -hmm. like day-in-the-life stuff, you know, and it's hard sci-fi. And, and it was met with... Uh, uh, zero interest um, <laughs> with from my group. They were like, yeah, that sounds boring. Now, meanwhile, of course, at the end of the first session, uh, something bad would happen to Earth, and mm -hmm. now they're stuck trying to survive, not sure who they can trust in the rest of the crew, and, you know, all this other stuff. And I had all these plans to kind of build build relationships with other people and stuff like that. Um, 
See, you were trying to keep the bait and switch on him, man. If you would have just told them what you had planned, they would have been like, yeah, let's see what happens. I've learned many things since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Relentless is going to be near future, basically. So, the sublight, it's going to be all ballistic uh, type of weapons. Uh, there's going to be clocks. So, because the generation ship can't really slow down. So, when the away team goes, you've only got so much time before it's going to be too far away that you can catch back up to them. Oof. So there's going to be a mission clock. It's going to be a hard resources. So you're going to only have so much oxygen. Uh-huh. So we may have a tracker that we put out in front, or there might be something like we've had a few different ideas, but uh, it's going to, it's going to be a pretty grim idea because you're never going to necessarily get where you're going probably. And so uh, there's also going to be this domain turn where you're doing the ship and on the ship, Basically, say you have five people playing, and we haven't figured everything out yet, but you're going to have five groups of people. So you're going to have, like, administration. You're going to have engineering, you know, the different segments of the ship. And so each person is going to take one of those positions, and then you'll do the domain turn, and then they can decide what they do. They can help affect these things, like send probes that will maybe then give you a longer mission time. Um, Or there's also going to be a role where you're going to say, this is the – the problem of the week that's happening with the ship. And though this is what you're trying to solve on your mission. And uh, so all these things will hopefully go in together in some ways. It, there's a lot of, it's a lot of resource management. So mm-hmm. the guy writing it with me, he's like, I just really like the idea of the setting and I want to do an OSR game just about that. And I'm like, well, I really want to test these domain rules. So <laughs> I, I have all this other stuff that I want to add in there. And uh, it almost feels like a board game plus a role-playing game at the same time. That's um, cool. So during the campaign play, when people die or if you don't find the part you need, uh, you're losing efficiencies on your ship the whole time. And the whole idea is you're trying to get as far as you can so that the next people come have an opportunity to get even farther and keep the human race alive. And whatever was happening is going to be following you all the time. So it's going to be building tension as it goes. So. And you're, Hobbs, I, I know what you're going to do. You're going to make me buy another box set. As I'm trying to decentralize and digitize everything, oh, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm excited I mean, about we just, we just started. I just came no, I up know. with this idea on Saturday, and <laughs> it was the first moment of creativity that I feel that I've had in two weeks after the Emmy nomination, after the Macris episode stuff. I felt like I was somewhere where I was going to get past all these things, and I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I have, I feel free, and I have all this weight off my shoulders. And um, I came up with this idea and I shot it off to this guy who is really big into military where he's actually the guy who runs uh, white box uh, twilight 2000. So it's a twilight 2000 game using white box op- operation, white box rules. Yeah. And it's almost all military guys, but me. And so they are always dropping down all these names and it feels super military. And we're driving around in some kind of personnel carrier and BTR or something. They all know the names and they're like, Oh yeah, doesn't it have this coaxial machine gun and all this stuff, you know, and I know nothing about it, but I really feel like uh, a hard in hard sci-fi. It's going to be mostly like you're a Navy people. You're on a ship. So it'll have a strong military feel. So I sent the idea off to him to see if he wanted to help me do the military aspects of it. And he's been really excited about it. Honestly, he's constantly every day. He's like, what's my writing assignment today? And I'm like, dude, I'm just making this up off the top of my head. You, <laughs> you could do that too if you wanted, you know. But uh, everyone, I send it off to like three or four people. It's like two pages mostly of just that concept of the background, you know. And they're like, oh, I want to run this. So, yeah. I don't know. It seems I, exciting. I don't. I actually want to play it. 
Um, <laughs> which is weird because I'm not a resource management guy in, in general. I'm, I'm, I'm not re- not real good at it overall, but that sounds like one of those occasions where it's like, it's just cool to be able to say, you know, okay, well, we've got enough oxygen for four of us to get back, you know. Or yeah, like. and this is how much time we have, but we are we have to get this piece of data, and so now we have to make a decision. Are we going to send the data through, which will be faster than our ship to catch up to the generation ship and leave ourselves here, wherever yeah. we are, basically sacrificing ourselves, or is it more important for the ship for us to get back and not get that piece? So it's going to be a lot of choices, hard choices, really, for the players, I think. I like I like, the name's great too. Um, you yeah, like that? I relentless. That's just a cool name. That's just well, thanks. Um, yeah. So Thaddeus said one more last thing, and I'll sure. be done with this. Thaddeus said that your the ammo is going to be sparse as well because it's near future and uh, it hasn't really gone very far because all the technology over the generations of these ships moving has degraded. So one of the idea you're going to end up with sharing ammo or maybe. You're going to be like in uh, two guys have ammo and the other guys just are going to have to use melee weapons because they don't have ammo until you find some. So it's also has this post apocalyptic feel as you're moving through these derelict ships, you know, with flickering lights and low ammo and uh, the weight of the human race on your back. So wow. anyway, yeah, that's the that's, idea. That sounds intense, man. Um, I, yeah, I just, um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really glad I had you on. I feel like, uh, we could keep talking for a million years, but I know you have a game to get to um, in a little bit. I do. Yeah. Uh, but um, I did want to um, definitely congratulate you on your any nomination. Um, Thank you. It's, I'm, I feel like it's the first of several any, any nominations you'll be getting. So <laughs> wow. congratulations on your first any nomination. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um it's been great having you on. Are you going to be a QCC? No, I don't okay. think so. Uh, not at this point. I'm barely scraping enough money to get by as it is. So okay. my wife is like, "You're going? I'm going to Gen Con for one day, and that's really because I told people there's no way I'm ever going to Gen Con unless I get it nominated for an Emmy. Well, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> that's what happened? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It it can be pricey to 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 do all that, especially when we're you know, we're, we're doing this for uh, for just a little passion. bit right now. Yeah, passion. Yeah, yeah. yeah but um, yeah. And I, like I say, I've already, I already go to GaryCon, and then I yeah. went to North Texas, and in the next week I went to Origins, and so it's like a, it's a lot. You know, I'm just a regular dude trying to sell water softeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I should say. I, can I talk a little bit about Random Screed maybe briefly? Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. So Random Screed is an Anchor cast. It's done on uh, the app Anchor, and it's actually done on my phone while I'm driving around in my work van. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the audio is the worst. <laughs> but uh, what it really – what originally I had created it for is for me basically to personally talk about things happening in podcasts, and I was hoping – it's a uh, because the app is works in a way that I can do something. It's not live, but then I put it, publish it, and then other people can actually call in like a radio show. Really? And then I can uh, publish. I can add their call in to either the existing podcast that was already out or the next one, 
And at the time when I first started doing it, you didn't, I didn't really put it out as a podcast. It was really, you had to be on anchor to hear it. And then I found people were, were talking about it and they're like, Oh, can you publish it places? And so now it's published basically everywhere. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it anywhere. And what it's really turned into me for me is a, almost like a personal journal or diary. I'm bipolar. And so I talk a lot about mental health and how I use gaming and where I'm at mentally. And um, it's been really, really uh, satisfying. It's just a talking head. So I'm not really talking to anybody at the time, but I do publish call-ins and talk about what they do. The majority of the show is really uh, just about me dealing with dealing with my mental health and whatever is happening in my life. Um, but I do talk about gaming in situations where I couldn't really put them on Hobbs and Friends. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's a really deeply personal show. I'm, uh, and I'm I, excited because I've, I've never listened. And, uh, and when you mentioned it on this, I actually jumped out of my phone real quick, subscribed because, um, I love you on Hobbs and Friends. So I figured, oh. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll love this too. And it's cool to know that that's it. It's, it's insight, insight into Hobbs, man. Yeah. If you can't get enough Hobbs, go listen to random screed and then you'll wish you didn't have as much. Who? <laughs> Who could ever get enough of Hobbs? Uh, my wife would beg to differ. <laughs> my wife would say the same thing about about whatever nickname I'm calling myself this. But right. um, um, listen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'll drop links uh, to everything in the show notes. Um, it's been great. Um, I'm going to start a new segment uh, uh, this this time around on the lounge because. Um, every time I end the show, I just kind of like, Hey, that's great. You know, or something Bye. like that. Yeah. I don't really have like a, 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 a button line for the end. So, um, so, uh, what I'd like to do is I'm going to start asking my guests what my button line should be and I'll try it out for that episode. And then after a while, we'll figure out if one of them works. <laughs> so, oh. um, <laughs> Man, you could have told me this ahead of time, and I would have some time I could to have think told of you that. But, uh, <laughs> but before before I uh, before I, I I do get to that point, I, I'm letting you know um, everybody okay. can, can find you um, on Twitter OSRN the letter N Hobbs um, and also Hobbs Indeed. Yep. Um, and then uh, the Hobbs N the, the letter N friends.com is your uh, is your blog and website that leads to all your stuff, um, and you've got a Patreon, and I can't recommend enough that everybody goes on uh, Patreon.com/OSRNHobs and um, and checks out what's there and, and and gives you money so that you can go to more cons and win more ennies. Um, <laughs> so um, so yeah, it, but this has been a blast talking to you. Um, you're welcome on any time, uh, as I say to all my guests, but I guess I just have great guests. I'm waiting for the bad one, but it hasn't happened. So. Um, and what do you think? Do you have a tagline? I keep, when I hear the lounge, man, it makes me think of, of leisure, <laughs> leisure suit, Larry. <laughs> so, <laughs> come up with something about that or lizard lounge or. I don't know, something like that, man. That's, that's uh, my initial thoughts. <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about this one? I got one. Okay, so Hobbs, thanks for coming on. And everybody, stay classy. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> and I say this every time, don't I? I have some cool conversations. Thank you so much, Jason Oz, for coming on. Everybody should go check out Hobbs and Friends of the OSR on the network. I gave it a blurb last week. And check out Random Screed. I've been listening to it. It's really good. It's inspired me. I think I'm going to do my own thing on Anchor. Um, try that out myself. So, Meanwhile, let's do some more. Let's play some bills, right, folks? So... Also on the Misdirected Mark Network is Misdirected Mark. Chris, Phil, and Bob go live every Tuesday evening at 8.45 Eastern to break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, game design, an effort to entertain and inform you. Listen, you folks know this show. This is a great show. This is an awesome show. This is what brought us all to the table. That's why we're here. So, so check it out. Tell, tell other people to check it out. You're, you know it. Tell other people how great it is. I'm going to thank some uh, some patrons. Let's see who we got. We got Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators, the Lord of Beefness. Sean Gilgore, the Knight of All Edges. Eric Jepson, the Lord of Endurance. That sounds that sounds tiring. Palladion, Duke of Darkest Suns. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Tiring to ominous. Who else we got? Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dice. And finally, I'm going to thank Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas and Talking Games. So, some some uh, some of the royal court for you. Oh, oh, we're, we're fading out here. This awesome song that you're checking out is And So It Begins by Artificial Music, used under Creative Commons 3.0. You want to get in touch with me, you can you can find me at Doc Palindrome on Twitter or wherever Doc Palindromes are sold. And I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time on The Lounge. Music